This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. David Robertson is a youth soccer coach in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has earned his USSF A license and his NSCAA Premier Diploma. Those are so incredibly hard to say. But what I do not have a hard time saying is that David is also a 343 founding member. And you can bet your ass that we talked about the differences between each of those and what he has learned from each of those. I had been bugging David about getting him on the podcast for over a year now, and I was super happy to cross this guy off my list of people who I wanted on the show and put him on the list of people that I've had on the show. We touched on some of my favorite topics and so much more, and some of my favorite parts of this episode were talking about how Cincinnati is consistently developing youth national team caliber players. I found that very interesting. We also talked about the benefits of recording and and re-watching your training sessions and your games. Guys, I'm going to stop right there. I have this all written out, but I'm going to stop right here and go on a tangent. I talk about this all the time now, and if you have not stopped to record video of your training sessions, or if you have not started to capture video of your training sessions and your games, you are doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your players a disservice. Start doing this. The benefits of recording your training sessions and your games uh, cannot cannot even be measured. It's so beneficial. Okay, tangent over. Back to the script. Uh, we also talked about how you can properly empower your soccer parents and why that is so important. I found David's position and, and techniques on that pretty interesting. In the write-up of this podcast, there is a video of David's actual work that he's done with his teams, and I highly recommend checking that out, and I highly recommend linking up with David on social media. Because it's so important to have videos like these and coaches like David who are willing to put themselves and their real work out there to be seen and to be judged and to be critiqued. Because there are a lot of people out there claiming to be experts who hide behind the veil of other people's work. If you can't see their work and verify that their bark matches their bite, then you should not be learning from them. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, that is a big reason why David joined 343 when the membership first opened. The viral video of the 11-year-old kids playing possession soccer, I think you know which one I'm talking about, that video caught David's attention and he wanted to find out how he could do it too. David and a couple hundred more coaches became part of the founding class of the 343 coaching education program and they were the first to see the proven methodology, and they continue to be the first to see any new 343 membership content that is produced to this day. Now, the 343 coaching membership is what helps to support and fund this podcast that you are listening to, that I hope you subscribe to, uh, and I hope that you come back for more of. But it is a proven methodology that works and can help you reduce your own trial and error time by giving you a smart approach to coaching possession soccer. So if you're interested, you can learn more about that program, the program that David is a part of, uh, and some of the other stuff that we offer by visiting 343coaching.com. So that's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, and then the word coaching all spelled out, .com. All right. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with David Robertson. (laughs) 
John, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, dude? Not much. Just uh, just got the Red Bull Leipzig Celtic game in the background here. So off to a good start for the afternoon. I haven't got a chance to watch uh, or, or turn anything on yet, but I saw the the like a little clip of the Celtic fans marching to the stadium, and that always amazes me that that exists. And we oh, mi- five thousand of them, yeah. And we miss that so much in American soccer. I'm slamming my hand on my leg right now talking about it. You'll actually, you'll actually love this in Cincinnati. So obviously, FC Cincinnati's, um, you know, the the big game in town, and they actually have something. It's called the Bailey. It's probably the closest thing to a European supporter section that I've seen. And they start, it's got to be half a mile, a mile away at the bars in Clifton, and they march and sing and drums and smoke and everything all the way. It's uh. If you ever go on like FC's social media, they usually have it posted or there's some YouTube videos around, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's not 5,000 deep, but it's, it's something that makes you go, Oh, maybe something is happening a little bit. So <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. And I, and I, and you know, when I say stuff like that, I know that I paint with the, with a very broad brush and I get a lot of heat for that a lot of times because that exists in Seattle. It exists and has existed for a long time in Portland and, yep. and and those are two pretty, you know, organic examples that have existed for quite a long time. You know, I, I don't know if the marches to the stadium existed before either of those teams was in MLS. They they obviously weren't as, um, you know, their their teams weren't as widely, um, like, I don't know how to say this. Like, it just wasn't in, in, my, in my scope. It wasn't in my lens, you know, 10, 15 yeah, years Yeah, but even... Ago. Even those guys are the exception; they're not the rule, right? Exactly. So you talk about, you know, you look at even in England, Brentford's clubs like that have all that sort of stuff, and they're you know second, third division teams. So it's in volume, in volume, the rest of the world versus the exception here. So it seems really cool here because no one else does it. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, dude. And and it reminds me of the of the documentary series that's on Netflix. It's with like the the Neville brothers and um oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and skulls. Not the one where it's like talks about like them, but the one that that's more about where they that, the club. Yeah, like that sixth Salt division club. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If, if if anybody's listening that hasn't watched that, I highly recommend it because that's super cool. And you see like the you know how the community is kind of rallied around this you know little itty bitty club that has a flood on the, on their field and how how the guy fixes the bathrooms and all kinds of shit. It's 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 kind of cool. Especially the uh, at the beginning when they're getting so much resistance about trying to make it a more elite club, and it's you know the guy. Yeah. It's basically, they're they're playing in front of two guys and a dog, right? So. <laughs> exactly. No, it's 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 cool stuff. It's good stuff. It's good perspective. It actually relates to what I was just uh, what I was just recording right before I called you. So I recorded the intro for the podcast that I released today, which was a conversation between Kevin Fuller and Gary Kleiben. Um, awesome. And and the whole idea behind their their conversation was was get out and and see what else is out there in Europe and South America and in other places in the world because that soccer environment is so much different than than what we experience here in the United States and I can tell by the by you know the funny way that you talk that you have a, a, that perspective as well <laughs> so um that's why I'm, I'm super excited to finally get a chance to talk to you man um, yeah no for sure I know that I've I've been asking you like or I haven't even been asking you. I've just been telling you, hey, I need to get you on the podcast. I need to get you on the podcast. I need to get you on the podcast for what two years now? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so I finally have you on the podcast. This is this is exciting. Um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. So I appreciate you appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I, I'm not sure if, if if you're aware, but I've been recording for four minutes. Um, so all that, Fair enough. all that was just recorded. Um, but let let's uh, let's get into it. Hold on one second. I need to get rid of this dog. Actually, hey, get out. Hey, go. Yeah. Sorry. Um, oh, you're good. Uh, yeah. So I guess the 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 best place to to start is probably going to be with an introduction of of who you are and what you do and and maybe how we are connected because I think a lot of people, you know, when they see your name in, in the title of this episode, they're going to be like, who? Um, but you're definitely somebody worth, worth knowing. I think your knowledge is worth sharing. And I think people are going to be excited to find out a little bit more about you. So let's start with an introduction. Tell, tell everybody who you are and, and a little bit about your work. Yeah, perfect. So my name's David Robertson. Obviously, like you said, the funny voice lends to uh, <laughs> I'm from from somewhere else. So, you know, I've had the u- unique experience of, you know, obviously living in Europe. And I came to America as a teenager. My uh, my parents' job brought us over to America and we lived in Germany before that. Um, so, you know, being able to experience, obviously, the culture in the UK, plus the German culture and then the, the American culture. Um, and coming, obviously, coming from the UK, football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, is is in the blood. And people always joke that, oh, it's a religion and this and that. No, no, it really is. I mean, it's it's how you how you structure your life. It's what you talk about. It's, you know, really sums up your existence of, you know, who you support and what's going on and, you know, the the turmoil with the club. And, you know, I'm a Newcastle United fan, so I am constantly, you know, living stressed out. Though. You know, we used to be we used to be beating Juventus in Turin and now we're now we can't score a goal to save our lives and, you know, praying that we're, we're going to avoid relegation a little bit here. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey, but coming over to the, to the U S, you know, I came over just before high school and, you know, played over here and did the club system and, you know, got used to that and had opportunities to play in college. But, you know, I think deep down knew that coaching was kind of what I wanted to do. Having had some, some guys that kind of inspired me a little bit when I was, when I was coaching. So I actually got started my freshman year of college and actually, rewind a little bit i uh i took my first ever coaching licenses when i was 16 so i think that was probably a sign of what might be what might be on the way and then when i was 18 you know i, I coached a you know u10 boys team and then it just kind of grew from there so you know i spent my first years at some smaller clubs in cincinnati and you know making like two thousand dollars for a year for a team and you know struggling and living in the parents basement and then you know moved on with that and got opportunities and grew and you know, for me, it's just been a journey of figuring out how much I don't know and trying to find different avenues to learn different stuff. So, you know, I've gone to all of the NSCA conventions for the last eight years. You know, I've constantly gone out watching college coaches, watching pro teams train, watching other club coaches train, you know, and then obviously the link comes in with 343. I think like everybody else probably in the country saw that YouTube video and went, good Lord, you know, this can... <laughs> It's, 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 you, you watch it and then the excitement goes, I think I can do that. You know, I think I can, you know, you, you constantly hear everybody going, oh, well, they're kids or they're this or that, or you get it now with city and Chelsea and everybody goes, well, you can't play like that there. We only have, you know, 14 year olds, 15 year olds. And it's, you know, I don't subscribe to that. It's well, why not? Why don't we create those type of players? So, you know, it's been a cool process of, you know, kind of just diving into that methodology and diving into it and going, you know, this is this is what I believe in. And this is an example of it being done, you know, starting with the youngest kids, you know, when they're working on synchronized stuff as simple as goal kicks, you know, and it's how often do people really work on that? Yeah, we complain that we can't build out of the back. So, 
you know, it's been cool seeing that kind of evolution and interacting with you guys and, you know, just kind of growing. And, you know, for me, it's obviously led to having the opportunity to be part of, you know, a staff that's won a national championship that's, you know, coached multiple USC national team players, you know, I'm coaching the development academy on the girls side now. So, you know, it kind of opened a lot of doors for me. And one of the big things is always being complimented on the style of play. You know, and for me, that's always been a big thing is we're preparing these players with the goal of trying to make American soccer better. So it's, yeah, we always have the sub goals of trying to go and play in college, trying to, you know, play for the national team, this and that. But ultimately, the ultimate goal is we want to win World Cups. So how do we do that? How do we change kind of the norm of what we think is acceptable for a youth player and help get them to that that elite tier? And that involves so much more sophistication and detail and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, it's obvious with the number of kids that are now at the, you know, professional or borderline professional and national team level that, you know, the, the brothers have produced that, you know, it shows it works. It works. It definitely works. Uh, I want to hear more about your first experience with coaching. You kind of, you, you hinted that you took your, your first coaching license course at 16. You had a, mm-hmm. a, a boys U10 team at 18. Can you describe a little bit about like the things that you were doing then and, and maybe talk about the differences compared to what you're doing now? Yeah. So obviously at 18, my perspective was all about what I knew from when I was playing. Right. So which I think is my- a, that 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 frame is very, very common. I think that we don't talk about yeah. that enough is that coaches, you know, you teach what you know and you know what you've what you've learned from your previous coaches. That is a situation that we as coaches are all too familiar with, but we don't really talk about that very often. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, you know, I went into it and it, it was an interesting thing. I emailed, emailed the guy that was in charge of the club or the youth program at that time and said, hey, you know, interested in getting involved in coaching. Didn't know if I'd ever hear back. And then the next day I had an email saying, hey, show up at, you know, five o'clock at these fields. We'll see you there. Showed up. The guy handed me a bag of pennies and cones. Told me that they did not want a game last year. Good luck. And that was my intro to coaching. No, here's, here's how you do things. Here's how you do anything, you know? And so it was sort of, you know, you had this, this group of kids that were just looking at you as kind of a figurehead and it was, all right, what do we do? So, you know, started off with, for me, the technical foundation while I figured out, you know, cause you always have this idea in your head of how you want the game to be played, even as a player. And then it's how on earth do I translate that? You know, so how do I get it from this? to what I want it to look like. So then it started to build, you know, activities. And that's, that's one of the things Twitter didn't exist then. You know, there were, <laughs> I think face, Facebook was just around. So there, there wasn't the insane access that there is now. So I literally got a whiteboard and just started drawing things, you know, and, and it challenged me to watch the games in a different way. And you go, well, okay, well, how do these, how do these teams play like this? Well, they've, there's been this pattern five times when this happens, this happens. Okay. So how do I train it now? Um, and you start to kind of build it into that. So almost not having a structure starting coaching was a benefit to me because it really made me think of, I think I have an idea of how I want to play, but how do I get there? You know, I don't really have a mentor. I don't have somebody that's, that's teaching me how to do this. So I've got to figure this out. Um, you know, so that was fun and a lot of stress at the same time. Um, you know, and obviously at 18, I thought I knew everything. So, um, I thought we were going to play brilliant football straight away. And it was, you know, I was this great tactician and this and that. Um, and then you realize very quickly how you know nothing. Um, and it's funny now, you know, that's 11, 12, 13 years, something like that ago. And I feel like I almost know even less now, 
um, <laughs> you know, having gone through all these experiences and, you know, being able to see kids of every level and stuff like that. But it's been, it's been a fun journey and it's, it's always fun looking back and, you know, those kids are, I think, finished with college now. So I'll run into them every once in a while and, you know, they, they still remember that. And I was only with them for like a year and a half. So it was, uh, it was a short journey, but it was, it was a great introduction because it was a great group of kids. I think we lost like one or two games, um, you know, but they were, they were a lot of fun and it sort of, it got me hooked, you know, cause you, and that's something we all lose perspective of sometimes is that we got to remember that the reason why we get into coaching, right? So it's about, it's not about our egos, you know, it's about making those kids better, you know, both as obviously people and as, uh, you know, athletes and how we can, how we can help them aspire to their dreams. So when did your philosophies or or the identity that you wanted your teams to be known for when did that really start to take shape in a in a consistent manner like what like when were your teams displaying your ideas consistently on the field yeah i think i always had ideas of of playing a possession oriented style and i think that's always been a part of you know, my methodology and my philosophy and how I want to play. Um, but it was the idea of creating purpose behind everything that then took it to that level where you can go, okay, it's not just, you know, we, we're really good at possessing versus a low block team in our own half. You know, it's okay. We can actually break you down. You know, we've got principles that we're going to stick to no matter the, the formation we play or anything like that. I think it really honestly came about when I really dove into the, the three, four, three methodology, because it was, here's a roadmap, you know, and here's the purpose behind it. Um, you know, cause I took the, at the time I started the three, four, three stuff, I'd taken the old U S soccer B license, you know, and that was essentially, could you just pretend as much as you could, what the instructor wanted you to see, and then you go back and do whatever you want, <laughs> you know? So that was, you know, that was the old style. It was, you know, how good an actor were you for these eight or nine days? Um, you know, and you just, you just regurgitated what they wanted and then you got out of there and then, uh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but you know, it was. You know, I would say at that point, and it took a while. So that was, that was the big thing was, you know, I think being young and being kind of naive, you go, all right, I've got this, I've got this framework now, you know, here's examples of how we're going to build. Here's all this, we're training it. And then for the first month, you see tiny little glimpses, but it's like one out of 10 times. And you're like, oh God, maybe it's the kids. Maybe it's, maybe I'm not good at this. And then, you know, over time it builds and it builds and it builds. And you realize that, you know, it truly is a process. And so you look at, uh, a cool thing I was able to do was you take, and I don't have them anymore. I wish I did, but I, I had like a parent with an iPad take film and it was, you would watch the beginning of the season and then you'd look at them six months later and you're like, it's, it's a completely different team, you know? So it was, it was cool kind of seeing it build over time, but the real understanding of the fact that it's a journey and it's a process and, you know, they're not going to look like the complete product for quite a while and that's okay, but you, you cannot sacrifice you know, your methodology in order to get a quicker fix. Dude, you're, you're touching on a lot of things that, that obviously mean a lot to me. Uh, and it's a theme that I think has been present in a lot of my recent episodes with, with different coaches, with Joey, with, with Michael Perkins and, and a number of different people. But it's this idea that you need to capture video of, of your teams, practices and games. Because you mm-hmm. need to be able to go back and see that progression. Like, hey, you know, this was month w- number one. And if month number six looks exactly like month number one, well, you know, something might be off and, and you might need to tweak something. But if month number one and month number six look completely different in a good way, then you know that something's working and, and you know that you're on the right path. 
But without that that video to refer back to, you're kind of lost. And and you mentioned having some sort of a, of a roadmap. Well, you that that's part of your own roadmap. Like like you need to know where you've been. And not having that documentation is is very very or it makes things very very difficult to to know that you're right i guess is is one way to put yeah, it yeah i think there's there's always the how do you know things are improving if you can't measure it right so it's got to be measurable gains and yeah. that doesn't have to be you know in x amount of time we're able to complete x amount of passes you know it's it's nothing to do with that it's it's really it's an eye test but you look at it's the same thing all the time that's my my favorite quote you know, when we're looking at players and people, you know, coaches or parents or whatever go, yeah, they're a good player, but it's yeah, good, good in comparison to what, you know, are you good yeah. compared to, you know, a rec team, city, state, national, like, are you a national team kid? Are you, you know, international kids? Like those terms are so comparative and until we can measure it, there's no way to say you're doing a good or a bad job. That's right. And, and that also brings up another good point because people will commonly, you know, say things like, oh, I'll give you the example that I, I experienced yesterday, right? So I put up a bunch of videos of my high school girls team that I was coaching and people will frequently say, well, that's high school girls. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But who are they playing against? Other high school girls. They're playing against people yep. at their own level, right? So it, it, it's on par. So if you want to talk about the U.S. men's national team, you know, who, who are those men national team players playing against? Other men's national team players. So yep. you can't you can't say that, oh, you know, just because they're high school girls, it's easier or harder or what no. Like that that argument is is void in my opinion. So uh I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> just about I think people but that's so much of like people need to focus on, you know, because you, you go on Twitter all the time and it's it's just negativity, complaint, no solution, right? So it's, Absolutely. okay, we talk about as a, as a country, we want to have a style of play. We want to do this. We want to implement that. But if you, you don't just switch all of a sudden when you get to the national team level, you know, it's, it's the whole adage of just because somebody's wearing uh, Manchester United, that might not be the best example anymore, but <laughs> just because you're wearing a Manchester United jersey doesn't mean that you're a Manchester United player just because you put the jersey on, you know? So if we're asking players to play with the methodology and understand and be adaptable to different systems, you know, but play with, you know, an entertaining, but effective brand. How can we do that? If we go, Oh, well, we're only going to do it at the men's and women's national team level. Well, how are those players ever going to be prepared for that? If they didn't start it, what really should be in rec and in the juniors programs and stuff like that, start implementing it there. And then it becomes a reality because like you said, everybody develops at the same ages, you know, it's, what do you look like when you're two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? The rest of the world is the exact same. So all the excuses in the world just need to be thrown out the window. It's okay, yeah, we have a problem. How do we solve it? As opposed to just sitting here and going, yeah, we have a problem. It's never going to get better. Okay, well, how do we as coaches ensure that it gets better by making sure that the players we produce can do what we want them to do at that next level? Yeah, it's inspiring to hear you, hear you talk about that, and I'm curious how your message and and your way of doing things has been received in your local community because I have followed a little bit of your path and, and, you know, going from, you know, a a girls club coach to, you know, winning a national championship, uh, coaching in the DA, like, like things have obviously been on an upward tick for you, but how have things, 
how have things been going for you, maybe off the field? Like, how, how has your message been received? How has your philosophy been received? And, and maybe what are some of the, the positives and negatives? Yeah, I think with the players that I work with, it's received really, really well because they can see the product day in, day out. I think the struggle always becomes when, whether it's, it's coaches within the same club, at different clubs, whatever it might be, are very resistant to give their players up, which I understand. Everybody has egos. Everybody wants their player to be successful. But if we're talking about we're trying to you know create these teams and these environments where the best players can continue to get better, we have to put the best players together. It can't be Club X is producing one or two kids, Club Y is producing one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of resistance to that, and hopefully that improves over time You because know, obviously the development academy on the girls' side is – is pretty new, so it's a it's a scary thing in the Midwest. Um, so people are people are still getting used to it. But I would say that's the big pitfall is so many people don't understand the difference in levels and the difference in environment. People feel that club soccer is club soccer, and you know if you have a certain level of potential that you can realize it anywhere, um, as opposed to I think it's clear once kids come into the environment that they go, this is different. You know, both in how we train, how we ask them to carry themselves, you know, as leaders on the field and in the community, as well as the little details that they have to do that other club kids don't have to do in terms of video analysis, in terms of, you know, setting, setting mini goals for training, et cetera, et cetera. So we have all these kids come back, they watch their games and they come back with specific clips and, okay, what should I have done here? Why is this off? Should my teammate have slid into this position? So they're now in a position where they're prepared to go into, whether it's college, whether it's national team, whatever it is. Um, and I think our club, you know, has had seven or eight kids in the national team, in the youth national team in the last four or five years. So, you know, it's obvious to people around here that we are producing those elite tier players. And last year we had 35 girls go on to play in college, um, you know, that had been inside our club. So it's, I think people are understanding that it works, but I think there's still resistance to, well, I can still probably get to my goals if I stay, you know, at the small club. There's I'm not no, sure if that made sense. I just rambled here. <laughs> no, no, no. It makes sense. And and something that that came to mind is there's no professional women's team in Cincinnati, right? For now, yeah. Okay. It's the uh, I think that that is, that is a, something that will eventually come down the road. But I agree with you. There's no top of the pyramid, right? There's no what are you aspiring to. You know, obviously, you know, the, the kids are able to see an example like Rose Lavelle, who, you know, has obviously played for the national team, played for our club, plays professionally on the women's side. You know, but that's a that's a small example. It's I think if you had an environment where you could have kids, you know, kind of like North Carolina does, I think they're the a good example of, you know, they have kids training with the first team and stuff like that, where it creates more of a a full pyramid environment. Yeah, it's just when, when you said that there were, you know, seven to eight national team players that that came just from your club you know and cincinnati is a huge city so it's like mm-hmm. that's that's crazy to me to think that there is no professional outlet for for the players in that area like they have to leave cincinnati to go play professional soccer which i mean isn't the end of the world but you would think that you know if the, if it's such a hotbed of of talent with players going to the national team and and you know 35 players going to to colleges like there's something there and and that yeah, deserves absolutely. an opportunity i agree and i think 
you know, that's been a, that's been a good thing about the ownership group at FC Cincinnati. I think they've embraced that and they've been very good in terms of how they've come into the community, just in terms of, you know, making sure one, they're not stepping on anybody's toes, but they're no, they've made it very known that they are here to grow the game, both on the men's and the women's side. So FC Cincinnati sponsors the girls development Academy for us. Um, so you'll see they're on all the jerseys, That's cool. you know, obviously the, the relationship is there. So they've, they've shown a desire and an investment to want to be a part of the women's game, you know? So obviously we're, we're hoping that that continues to grow and continues to provide opportunities for, for these girls to kind of have their dreams come true because in reality, we're really talking about half a percent of the top 1%, right? But that base <laughs> still needs to be there. So, yeah. Well, no, that, and, and again, that's crazy that you're, that you're saying, you know, seven or eight national team players. So you're, again, you're talking about like that 1% of player, you know, seven or eight mm-hmm. of them are coming from just one, one area or one club even like to, yeah. to me, like that, that's outstanding. Absolutely. And it's, it's been a journey and it's been, you know, some kids have gone in for one camp, some for multiple, some have gone on the international trips, but you know, it's good to see Cincinnati kind of getting the respect it deserves, you know, cause it's a, it's a smaller town. I mean, overall, when you compare it to like an Atlanta or an LA or something like that, you know, where you traditionally think of stuff, but you know, it's really, it's really grown in leaps and bounds over the last five and 10 years, especially on the women's side. It's always been a hotbed for the guys, but it's, you know, it's been really good to see the girls side evolve and grow and, you know, not just like we said, goods a relative term, right. Where we have, you know, it was four, two years ago, three years ago at, at cup, we had four teams and nationals, you know, out of five eligible age groups, you know, so we were, we we're consistently putting kids in that environment, um, you know, where they can compete and be seen by the, the top end. I want to talk to you about recruiting and finding players to bring into your program. It's not something that I, I talk about very frequently on here, but it, it's something that I think we need to need to spend more time on and, and coaches need yeah. a better understanding of. So when you're talking about your program to other people in the community or, or when you're trying to find other players to bring into, into your club, how are you guys going about that? And, and be real. Like, don't, like if you're yeah. stealing players, tell me you're stealing players. Or if you guys are playing nice, tell me you're playing nice. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. And, you know, it's, it's a little combination of everything, right? So we have a big club, you know, which we've got a really good juniors program that produces a lot of good players. So credit where credit is due. Those guys and girls that work inside of that work really hard, give these kids a good foundation, you know, and a lot of those kids that have, gone on to national team appearances have come through our program for two to six-year-olds. So we can say kudos to them for putting on a a big thing, but it's also unrealistic to say, yeah, we're always going to have the best kids, right? So, you know, it's different clubs do a good job and produce kids. And, you know, for us, it's about how down the road can we build a collaborative thing so that this is an environment that represents the entire city? Because that's the ambition that the goal is to make it that, you know, instead of feeling like a player is stolen, you're feeling like you've developed them to play at this level. Um, and all these girls have a lot of, you know, pressure from their high school coaches that want them to play, you know, from administrators, from friends, from all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of components to it. But for me, it goes back to, you have to have a game model, you have to have a style of play, you know, and then you have to go, okay, inside of that now, what is our, what does our positional needs look like? You know, what, what do we want our two and our three to look like, you know, in terms of their ability on the ball, off the ball, you know, what do we want in terms of character with these kids? You know, are we willing to take the kid that's a real project, but could have special potential? Are we, 
you know, only going to take kids from within. You know, so I think it's a little measure of both. I think it's, we don't directly go to kids. We're very respectful of, you know, clubs and coaches and, you know, cause there, there are a lot of people that do a good job, you know, and I think it would be disrespectful to just go and try and approach a kid. So for me, it's let the environment do the talking, you know, and a lot of times our parents are phenomenal advocates for us, you know, so they'll, you know, cause they all talk and they're all in the offices and they all work together and this and that. And they talk about their kids sports all the time. So our big thing is, let our product do the talking. And if you feel that your product is better than ours, your kids will stay. If our product's better, hopefully they find a way over and they can be in the best environment possible. You know, I truly believe that we provide the best environment. So I think it speaks for itself a lot. Um, you know, but would I be naive in saying that parents don't go out and talk to other parents? For sure. You know, I think I think <laughs> they definitely do the recruiting for us, which which is which is good because you know we want to be respectful and we want to build it the right way and you know, have good relationships with the clubs around here because karma is always going to come around. Right. So we want to kind of build that bridge of, Hey, how can we help you continue to get better and produce good players? And, you know, what can we, how can we be a resource to you? You know, and then understanding that our whole goal is regardless of what banner they're under, get these best kids together so that they can, they can get to whatever goal, you know, is possible for them. I like that you mentioned parents being phenomenal advocates. That's one of the best recruiting tools or parents are, are, are one of the best recruiting tools. And a lot of times the conversation is about how parents are a problem in soccer and, and how they don't understand things and how they're helicoptering and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the parents don't get enough credit sometimes where credit is due where they can make a huge impact on the quality of, of their kid's team by how they recruit. And it's, it's something that you know, can either be informal or formal. There, there's different ways you can go about it. But you know, it, it's a very, very – coaches need to start looking at parents as a very, very useful tool. And, and how can coaches better empower and better educate those parents, I think, is, is something that we need to investigate a little bit more. So, oh, you just, you just, you just nailed that. I mean, the big thing, the number of kids that we get because of parent recommendations, you know, and at, at the end of the day, I always look at it as a coach of if my parents are behaving in a fashion that I don't like, where have I failed that I could have done a better job, right? How can I educate them better? You know, how can I educate them as to what our process is so that when they're having a conversation, you know, and they go, well, what's your kid doing at soccer? Oh, well, we're working on this. And fundamentally, we're trying to get these things down. And, you know, I've seen it in the games and it's awesome. And, hey, do you want to see video? You know, because we have that. So, you know, we have that advantage as well. And, you know, for us, it's, it's an all around thing. We got somebody came out the other day because their dad is a referee and he was impressed with how we conducted ourselves on the sidelines. You know, so it's you never know where the next kid is going to come from. So it's just always keeping that in mind of, Parents, referees, opposition coaches that are sometimes parents will recognize there's something special going on there. I need to be a part of it. But if you're a dick, you know, to them and you create this sort of hostile environment, it's never going to work out for you. You know, now, obviously, you don't have to be the, the nice guy all the time. And I think as, you know, coaches at an elite level, we've always got a type A personality. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to the point, but we've got to educate parents. And that's, that's been something that I've really focused on in the last year or two years is explain what we're doing, 
why we're doing it and why it's important for their kid. Because at the end of the day, the way that youth soccer is set up for the majority of us, these are paying clients. So they need to see value out of the dollars that they're inputting into their kid. And if we can provide that and they go, well, we're paying the same as they are over there, but look at the exponential amount of improvement our kids had, you know, let's go help. Let's go get these kids over here. So we've got to do a good job. And that's the thing is, as coaches, we have to own that. You know, we have to do a better job of educating parents, players, you know, everybody as to, we can talk all we want about why we're special, but show it, prove it, you know, in in the way you conduct yourself on and off the field. Would you say that in the last one or two years that you've made that effort to educate parents a little bit more formal? Like, is there a little bit of like a structure or, or a plan behind it? Or do you just notice the individual opportunities to do so and, and, and you kind of just handle those on a case by case basis? I think there's, it's been a combination of both. So for me, it's, you know, so much of this comes down to relationships again. So there's a lot of informal conversations with parents, with players. You know, I try to make sure that I communicate with every kid on the roster, you know, at least once every two weeks, you know, um, and parents are obviously a little bit harder to get a hold of because they've got a lot going on as well. You know, but there's there's been formal stuff where it's, okay, we're going we're gonna to meet and we're going to talk about the college recruiting process. We're going to meet and we're going to talk about our, our parent code of conduct and how we conduct ourselves on the sideline and why it's important. You know, we have, you know, preseason meetings, meetings during the season um, and things like that. And I always make sure in today's world, I know everybody's busy so we can complain about it or we can adapt to it. And so my big thing is I make sure that weekly, worst case, every other week, there's information going out about to every parent, to every kid about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's important, you know, and what message they can help continue to hammer home. Um, with these kids when they're away from our environment. I'm, I'm asking questions kind of selfishly, you know, and I'll admit it. Um, oh, you're fine. But, you know, one of, the, one of the things that Gary's been working on behind the scenes, and if, you've probably noticed it because you're a member of the coaching program, but there's been a little tab on there that said parent education, and it's been there for like two years, and, and it's been slowly coming together, but, but it's, it, I think it's almost done at this point. But yeah, basically what, what Gary has, has tried to do or what he's done is taken all of the education that we provided for coaches and repackaged it in a way that can be presented to parents and, and can better educate and empower the parents. Like, you know, hey, you know, this is why this style of play is being coached in this club and these are the benefits of it and, and this is what you need to know about it. And so I, I'm I'm. That, again, that's why I'm kind of like selfishly asking like maybe how you've gone about doing that because I feel like it's important to uh, to know what other people are doing out there. So Yeah, um, no, it's, it's, I think that's huge. And I think it's it's got to be adaptable to each market as well because, you know, you look at the way that I interact with one of our kids who lives 20 minutes from where we train is different than how I interact with a kid who drives two and a half hours each way to our training, yeah. which we have in yeah. multiple because it's one of those we can talk about diet and nutrition and recovery and that stuff. But I've also got to keep in mind that that kid is getting out into the car immediately after school, doing their homework, right? Getting to us. And no matter which way we would love to say, I need you to eat, you know, X grams of protein, et cetera, et cetera, they're going through a drive through. So can we just educate <laughs> them about, you know, what's going to be the best possible choice? You know, because I think it's, I think parents can be quite resistant when you go, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to provide this, you need to provide that. They almost take it as you're telling them how to parent, which you're not. But that's how it can be perceived. So it's about how do we work together, you know, understanding that 
the amount of stuff that these kids have to do between, you know, especially on the girls' side, between academics and social and athletics, it's insanity. It's, you know, nothing, we, we didn't have to do anything close to the amount of schoolwork that these kids do now, especially with honors classes and APs, et cetera. So, you know, it's being understanding of their environment and how can we enhance it the best possible with the goal of improving, you know, fitness, diet, nutrition, sleep, et cetera, et cetera, but being conscious of everybody's conditions are different. Dude, there's so much more that goes into coaching youth soccer than than what went into it you know even just 10 years ago and and you know exponentially more than 20 25 30 years ago when a lot of these people that are in positions of of power and influence now you know they kind of rose to the top through this time where there was no real understanding of what was necessary or needed uh to to create this elite level environment and now it's like these elite level techniques are are you know being implemented at U10, and, mm-hmm. and all this information about sleep is is being implemented with U14s, and and you know education is is completely different now. So I you know one of the things again that that was discussed between Keffern and Gary in the mo- in, in the most recent episode that I edited was the fact that. We are so much further along than we were 10 years ago when, we, when it comes to everything as a soccer nation, but we're also still so far behind the rest of the world. It's, it's just, it's quite amazing to see yeah. how, how much we've moved forward, but yet how much we still have to go before we even, you know, remotely catch up or even enter the race in some regards, you know, it's, yeah. it's quite, quite amazing. Well, I think that. That goes as well to the, you know, when you when you institute change, right, which is what everybody's trying to do, you know, you have to think about who's leading the ship. You know, if you want to go and win a World Cup and you hire somebody that's never coached at a World Cup, is that really going to get you there? You know, it's so those that conducted things the old way, can they really be the ones who are guiding it into a an, into a new world? You know, because you look at, and especially now, I think that the joke is all the, you know, the nine-year-old strapped with a GPS and all this and that. And it goes, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can create all this data all we want, but if you don't have a way to quantify it and you don't have a way to use it, well, what is the point? You know, we have a very simple like readiness score that the kids do, you know, every morning. And it's basically, it's about fatigue, sleep quality, you know, and soreness. So that allows me to build my sessions, you know, in terms of, you know, who needs to do what rotations, what loads can I put on players, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's so many people that say, oh yeah, you know, come to our club because we have GPS and we have heart rate and we have this and we have that. And it's, well, what do you do with it? You know? So it's the same thing with coaching. Yeah. Everybody wants to play a possession style, but show me why it's important. Show me how, if I walk up to your kid right now and ask them what position they play and give them a scenario, can they list off the principles that are important in that moment for your club's philosophy? Because mm-hmm. if they can't, you're not doing it right. You know, there, there's some disconnect somewhere. Absolutely right. It reminds me of a, <laughs> of a PDF I saw recently of a former, uh, former MLS coach, a guy that's, you know, one of, one of the original founding fathers that you know people consider to to be uh one of the godfathers i guess of of american soccer coaching and his 
presentation at NSCAA convention in like the 90s and you know revolutionary stuff he was teaching a 3v2 defending session or something like that and it's just like <laughs> oh my god just the horse shit that that was available back then and so and how many coaches are are so far beyond that point now it's like yeah. it's night and day different than than what it was i think that was only like 22 years ago or something like you know we've come we've come so far and and you know, again, still have so far to go. But another thought that popped in my head, I want to make sure I, I mention this too. And you, and yeah. you mentioned the, the, you know, the World Cup. So if we hire a coach that's never been at a World Cup, how can we expect to win a World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, a, and it reminded me of something that we talked about earlier in this conversation, which was you, you know what you've learned, right? So if we yep. hire a coach that's never been to a World Cup, well, okay, we're already handicapping ourselves in, in that regard, right? But if we yep. hire a coach that has learned most of what he's learned from other coaches that have already been part of our system for years and years and years and years, well, we're really just getting another cut from the same cloth. Like this yeah. is th- this is this is not going to help us improve or or get any closer to our end goal if our end goal is to win a fucking World Cup. If our goal is to just fucking qualify for the world cup yeah like anybody can do that anybody should like 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 david you can take the men's national team and you would be able to qualify for the world cup anybody Mm -hmm. can anybody should be able to do that in 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 concacaf there's plenty of of able-bodied coaches that that can do that here but who's going to take us to the world cup finals like who is going to take us there not somebody that has learned and is cut from the same cloth as all the as other guys that never got us there. Like that's not exactly. going to happen. So well, sorry, soapboxing. No, no, you're 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 dead on. And that's the, I think you can give a learning curve to certain people, right? If you go, okay, and this is I know he's probably not ready, but you look at okay, Thierry Henry, right? He's learned under certain managers. Is that a candidate? You could sort of get rid of that World Cup exemption because he's been there, not as the head coach, but he knows the environment. He knows it as a player. He knows it as a coach. You know, but if you're if you're hiring somebody just to hire somebody, I mean, heck, you've got you've got an incredible coach sitting in MLS that's leaving Atlanta at the end of the month, you know, or at the end of the year, and it's one of those. You know, we first, I think, as a country, have to figure out what our identity is and what our goal is, in order to hire the right person to get you there. You know, because right now it's what is the vision, what are the goals? Yeah, it's easy to say to win a World Cup. Okay, so the goal is to win a World Cup. What steps are in place to get us there? You know. What is our style of play? No one can answer that because no one really knows. That's you know, so point. how can we th- how can we then ask our youth coaches to develop a certain style of player? And just like we know, the kid that's produced in Southern California is going to be different than the kid that's produced in Michigan. Different environments, different type of kids, but you need both of them, right? You need the sophisticated, sleek player, but you also need the gritty kid who's going to go, you know, and win the ball in the midfield. So you have the ability to do it in the country, but it's we have to reverse engineer. It's almost like we're trying to put one foot in front of the other. So it's how do we get, okay, the ultimate goal is to win a World Cup. Great, right? Love it. How do we now get there? How do we reverse engineer it? And I think that's the step that we're at, but that no one has really said, these are the steps, this is the plan. You know, because you look at, you know, I've got a couple of friends who are on the academy director course right now, and they went over to England and they met with the FA about, you know, the the English DNA and the, 
everything that they're doing over there. And they came back and they went, oh, my goodness, you know, England is going to be frightening in the next 10, 20 years, <laughs> you know, just with everything that they're doing. But that's the it's a set out plan. Right. And you can argue, yes, the English style of play was improved at the World Cup. And, you know, maybe they got a, a really good draw and it worked out well. But there is a plan, you know, and you can see the implementation of it um, and things like that. So I think there is there's this huge gap in we all want to rush to get to the World Cup and we want to do this and that. But how do we get there first? You know, how do we how do we produce the players and the steps and the coaches to get there? What is what are we trying to produce? Well, that's one thing that really jumped out at me when I took my C course recently. And it's something that Michael Perkins and I talked about. He took the newer style B course. I don't know if you've taken any of the newer style ones. Cause yeah, you know, I just, I just took the new A license. So, and, and you might be able to talk about your experience there it might be a little bit different than what I experienced, but they never really talked about a game model or, or like an mm-hmm. actual soccer philosophy. It was more about how to teach and, and not necessarily soccer. It was, it was literally like, like, teaching you how to teach. And so there was, you know, you can relate those things to how you present yourself on the field or how you present your information or, you know, how you organize your training sessions. But there was no, you know, identity being built as far as soccer goes. It was more about building identity of, of teaching. And, you know, when you zoom out and you look at the nation through that lens, it's like, well, no shit. We're not good at soccer. We're we're learning how to teach. We're not learning how to teach soccer. We're just learning how to teach, and mm-hmm. and that to me is kind of worrisome. And you mentioned that the academy directors are you know being exported to England to learn. It sounds like you know a footballing plan. And I know a lot of the MLS academy directors and coaches have been exported to France to learn a little yep. bit about their game model, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is really football-focused while including, you know, the teaching components and, and you know, the framework for how to teach it. But it's, it's football-focused. Yeah. And I've, I've, I, when I was saying the A-license, a couple of the guys had taken their UFA at Clairefontaine. So, and that's what they said is it, is it is literally everything is about learning the game and about, you know, okay, when you're when you're defending as a low block, you know, how, how should you shift? How should you do this? And I, I personally had a phenomenal experience with the new a license. So, you know, I, I was very, very lucky with my instructor, um, you know, who was, who was French ironically, um, <laughs> you know, and he, you know, he was very honest with me and very about, you know, shortcomings for everything. You know, he, he was very good. And the biggest thing for the a license here was about, you know, looking kind of inside and, figuring out the t- the teaching component wasn't really there at all which is which is interesting to hear that it's pretty big in the b and the c because i did those in the old style um but for the new a it's all about really thinking about the game as a coach and understanding what do you believe in how do you believe that the game should be played and there's no right or wrong and then it's about how do you create a game model how do you create periodization off of that how do you implement it into training so it's all about, you know, the implementation of game models, essentially, you know, and making sure that it is it's match realistic stuff, which is good to hear. Because I think so many coaches and we all we always say it now. And, you know, back when I was getting started and Twitter just came up, I was just as guilty as everyone and going, I love this activity. I love this activity. I love this activity. Put in a training session, go. And you ask a kid after practice what they worked on and they go, I have no idea. But now it's all about, OK, well. Let's let's get more specifics with stuff. So when you're building a training session, what's the picture that you're trying to paint? 
you know, regardless of what system you play, regardless of your philosophies, if you can defend it, then it's not wrong. So, you know, whether you play direct, indirect, whatever it is, set your training up into an environment that mimics that. So if you play in a low block, train it inside of a game. But you also have to equip your kids with the right pictures versus the right opponents, you know, because we've all played, you know, you feel like in the youth game, everybody plays 4-3-3. And then you go against the occasional coach who plays a 4-4-2 diamond and people lose their minds. So it's how do we prepare these kids to play in different systems, learn what a methodology really is so that they can implement it regardless of this formation that they're playing, regardless of the opposition, right? Because our kids have to be able to be adaptable to play against two-man midfields, three-man midfields, four-man midfields, two fronts, three fronts, low block, high block, you know, wing backs versus wingers, you know, all these different scenarios. So it's how do we train them so that they can adapt to it, you know, while maintaining the integrity of your principles, your philosophy, and how you want the game to be played. When when you were talking right there, I, I was I wrote down a note, and I like the way that you put it. And you said, "What kind of picture are you trying to paint?" And that's a very very uh, realistic example for coaches to follow. Like when you're drawing out your your training session, what kind of picture are you trying to to paint? What are you trying to bring to mm-hmm. life on the field? And so if you're if your training session is loaded with dribbling exercises and you know little uh you know partner passing drills and things like that okay well you know that's the type of picture that you're trying to paint so mm-hmm. when when that stuff happens or when your players try to do those types of things in games and it doesn't work out favorably for you you know that's your fault as a coach you need to own that and and if a coach looks at their training session and they see like okay you know i'm i'm trying to paint how i want my kids to build out of the back or I'm trying to paint how I want my kids to transition from the midfield to the attacking third. Uh, you know, am I bringing that to life in the real games? And again, mm-hmm. this, this goes back to, you know, having the video to refer back to and being able to see what's working and what's not, it all kind of ties in together. But what kind of picture are you trying to paint? I think is a very, very awesome way to look at it. And I, I, I couldn't have said it any better. I, I've never said it any better, actually. You said it the best I've, I've, I've heard probably on this podcast. Hey, God, appreciate it. But I mean, it's even down to like little things that you don't think of until you think of their impact. Like, okay, you're playing, you, you have half a field, right? So you maintain the integrity of an 18-yard box and a goal. But if you put a big goal at midfield for your, if you're working on building out of the back, for example, right? So if you're working on that and you're trying to give them a goal to go to, Right, which is which is fine. But if you think about it, if you put a big goal there, how does it change the mindset of those players? They're now thinking when they get into the bottom of the defensive third or midfield third, they're thinking about shooting. They're not thinking about building. Right. And as well, the team that they're playing against is going to drop and be compact. So now is that really the same picture that you're working on, you know, of building? Because there's no goal at midfield. So is it where you play in the targets now? Is it where you play into wide gates because your philosophy is you want to build in the width, right? So it's all those little details that make such a massive difference because I think we've all had the kid, right, where you're you're playing on half a field, you feed the ball into the six at midfield, you know, they spray it around, you get into the game and your kid can't complete a pass and you go, what happened? You were awesome at training. But then you think about, you never gave him any pressure. There was no real opposition. He was unopposed every time he received the ball. So that goes back to looking at coaches of, you know, 
when we're training things, like you said, if you look at the video and it doesn't look like the picture you're trying to create, look inwards a little bit. What could I have changed to make the picture more realistic, to make it game realistic to my methodology? That's such a, you just hit home with me because there's a team that I've been working with recently, a group of 2006 boys. And, you know, their training field is split between five teams, I think, at a time. In wow. each in, in each opposite corner, diagonal corners, there's a softball field. Uh, so you have the dirt, right? And so the field mm-hmm. is kind of divided so that you avoid those dirt sections, but you still have five teams that are out there sharing the field at the same time. So it's really, really crowded. But it puts you in areas where, you know, you don't have those reference points of the 18 or the 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 goal area or the sidelines yeah. because it's not, it's not painted. It's not realistic out there, but there are two fields that are painted out there. And so the yep. other day I had to, the night before I was going to work with that team, I texted one of the other coaches that usually takes, you know, a, a decent portion of the field. They're older boys. And so I said, Hey Isaac, man, would you mind if I took half this field for like 35 minutes just so I could work with these guys on, on, you know, building out of the back so they can see, where they're supposed to be on the field. They could feel what it's like to expand to the touch lines and they could, you know, see what it's like to to have the penalty area in front of them. So that way when they go to play on Saturday, they know how this is supposed to translate instead of having to work in a 20, 30 yard box on, on some other stuff, you know, on, on just a green piece of, of, of field. And I think we as coaches take that for granted, like how much time we get to spend in those actual you know, real training areas, I guess, too, is like you want realistic training, but you need to have realistic reference points for them to see whether it's, you know, indirect or or direct, I guess, like you don't even need to mention it, but just having the kids in, in that painted space is super beneficial. So absolutely. And that's what, you know, and, and that's the thing again, like you, like you said, the role of the coach has changed so much, right? So now there's so much collaboration that comes into it with with just fellow coaches so we have that you know you talk about obviously the ideal world is you have an entire field of training you've got 30 mannequins you do whatever you want but <laughs> even 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 in the development academy you know it's okay i'll get i'll get half a field but you know what we you know i've run training sessions where you know we're talking about you know preventive buildup against a counter-attacking team i need two-thirds of a field right or a coaches you know a couple of weeks ago a coach was working on you know building from the midfield third in the final third well that's not the halfway line you know that's deeper so they start there okay so for 20 minutes you know what we're working on you know finishing second chances in the box and that's fine kids love that you know but all it takes is just a conversation as opposed to i only have half a half a field or a quarter of a field so it's once again it's okay there's a problem how do we now solve it right we know what we have to deal with and we know what we have to, you know, the obstacles that we're coming up against. So how can we work to make it better? It's the same thing as all the, you know, the, the purists on Twitter that <laughs> talk all the time about everything that's wrong. Okay, solve it. Bring me a solution. Let's yeah. work on it. Let's do it. You know, as opposed to us all complaining. Okay, let's go. Let's give these kids the best possible environment we can. No, it's not perfect, but we're going to give them the best thing we can. You know, and that might be, okay, I know that one day a week for half an hour, I'm going to be able to be in this area of the field, you know, and next week, okay, I'm going to arrange it with these coaches that I can have the midfield for this area or the penalty box or whatever it is. Like you said, just takes conversation, you know, and being willing to work together knowing that he gave something up today. You're probably going to have to give something up at another point and that's fine. Absolutely. Uh, All right. We're an hour into this. I want to, I want to transition towards uh towards the outro 
And mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody, and you can answer it from from whatever angle you want, whether you know it's coaching education or from from your own club standpoint, um, from a Newcastle standpoint, whatever, <laughs> whatever comes to mind. Uh, but what do what do people need to know? I think the biggest thing is you've got to educate yourself into so many different facets of the game. You know, it's we we sit there and you know, I've, I've mentioned this a few times now, but we're judgmental towards X, Y, and Z, you know? So it's, okay, how do you as a coach go about shaping this environment? How do you go about playing your piece? Because yeah, if one coach, we, we can talk about, I'm one coach in this huge piece, but if everybody has that methodology or half the people have that methodology, it's going to make a significant change across the country and the level of youth, professional, et cetera, you know? So what are you willing to do to get better yourself as a coach, you know, to provide for whoever you're getting the opportunity to coach, whether it's rec, whether it's professional, whatever it is, you know? So if you have a local pro club, right, don't just go to the games, ask if you can go watch training. So now you're able to see what have they been working on in the build up to this game? How do they structure it? And now how do they implement it? Cause that gives you a whole different appreciation for everything. Cause it's easy for us to all watch Chelsea at the weekend, but we have no idea what he's been working on in training. You can gain concepts, you know, and, and just look at it from a pure point of view of this is objective. Hey, they go down the left side this amount of times, they run this combination, whatever. But if you don't have a pro team, go watch college teams, go watch other club team coaches. You will learn something good or bad every time you're on the field, you know? And then the biggest thing that I've really adopted in the last, I would say year, and I, I am now confused as to why it took me so long to adopt it <laughs> is honest self-reflection, you know? Make sure that you have have your session written out, write down what worked, write down what didn't work, and ask people to come and watch your sessions. Ask people to come and observe, and not people that are going to tell you, yeah, it's great, right? Because that doesn't help you get better. Well, why were you doing this? How does that paint the picture? You know, what about this? Have you thought about that? So be open to critical feedback, understanding that it's never an indictment of you as a person, or at least it shouldn't be, you know, and find those people that are willing to give you it because we have to make each other better. We have to get out of the mindset of I'm better than this person or I do that better because guess what? There's somebody that's better than you out there. So go find them, go learn from them and then have them help you to get better. You know, and like I said, I've gone out to sessions before and I've watched it and I've taken away stuff and gone, I got to make sure that I'm not doing that, you know, because I don't like the way it resonates with the players or I don't like the way that they react. Let me think about whether I'm doing that to my players. You know, so I think that's the big thing is be honest with yourself. Because if you lie to yourself, really, what's what's the benefit? You can tell yourself everything is great and good luck to you. But how do we really self-evaluate honestly? And then how do you go, I am going to, this is my goal, you know, because I can tell you my goal is to, is to coach in the professional game. So I'm going to do everything that I can to ensure that I'm able to get there by being able to say I've, I've grown into this and opportunities arise from that. You know, so basically summing it all up, Quit making the excuses, quit with the criticism, offer solutions, and let's make this better together because it's there. It's possible. You know, I, I have zero doubt that we can get to where we want to get to, but it takes people actually doing instead of just talking. 100% brother. I agree. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, this was a long time in the making and I appreciate you, you volunteering your time. Um, I know that a lot of people are going to be excited to hear from you. Uh, where, where can people that are, that are connecting with you for the first time or hearing you for the first time, where, where can they find you and and connect with you to engage further? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm always, always willing to chat with people. You know, I was, I was lucky to have some people that I could reach out to, you know, when I was growing as a coach and I'm always happy to be that resource for other people. And, you know, even if it's to bounce ideas off or just, you know, tell me you think that something I did was terrible so that I can work on it. I'm, <laughs> I'm open to everything. So, you know, probably I'm the most active on Twitter, I would say. So it's Cincy Soccer 2307, C-I-N-C-Y Soccer 2307. I'm on Facebook. You know, my, my email is Cincy Soccer 2307 at gmail.com. I'm happy to chat with anybody all the time. You know, there's there's no better day than when you get to talk football. So, you know, I'm I'm down for for chats with anybody. You are a brave man putting your email <laughs> out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm curious to see what I get now. Yeah. I, I'm curious too. If you get something, I I, I want to know about it because I think that'll be funny. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, dude. Well, I, like I said, I appreciate your time and and keep up the good work out there. And I hope to catch up with you again in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see you soon. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big, huge thank you to my guest on today's show, David Robertson. It was a blast getting a chance to talk to David finally, get to know a little bit more about him and his work and the, just the stuff that's going on in Cincinnati. I think that we are all aware of what's happening at the highest levels, but what's happening at the youth levels is equally as interesting. So I hope that you got a kick out of, out of hearing from him. If you would like more episodes of this podcast, you can find those on 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can find more information about our coaching education programs, programs that David has gone through himself. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, you can find those at 343coaching.com. And here is a little testimonial from Tom Beyer about his experience of going through the 343 coaching education program himself. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of that information on 343coaching.com. That's numbers 343, the word coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast.